How awkward is that when you want to shake somebody's hand, right? <laughs> Some of you are rebels. You turn around and hug people anyways. <laughs> Do the elbow bump. How are you doing? If you have your Bible, go to Matthew 13 this morning, please. And uh, maybe you have it on an electronic device or you have a hard copy with you. If you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back of the auditorium, actually in the atrium area at the information table. And you can pick up a Bible when you leave this morning. I'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Matthew 13, um, there's also Bibles in the seats under, in front of you, in the little racks in front of you. You can maybe follow along that way or up on the screen. In the last uh, few weeks, if you're new to New Hope, we've been working through uh, the parables. And the particular parables that we're in right now are in Matthew 13. They're called the kingdom parables. And Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom of heaven. This particular one is about the parable of the old and new treasure. It's very short. We'll get to it in just a minute. But it's just a, a sentence in which Jesus describes it. And here's what he's doing. In this amazing section, Jesus uses the parables to describe the characteristics of this era between the first coming and the second coming. So he comes in the first century. We don't know when he's coming again, but he says he's coming again. And in between that period of time, there are unique characteristics, and it's known as the church era. This is what we're discussing and describing through these parables. Here's the setting. Jesus has been out on the beach, and he's been teaching lots and lots of people who gathered around, but somewhere in mid-afternoon, it appears, they left the beach, and just Jesus and the disciples go inside a house. And so the setting that we come into now at the end of chapter 13 is it's just Jesus and the disciples, and they get a private session. And he's giving characteristics of this particular era. Last week, we spent some time looking at what he was describing at the end of Matthew 13 related to judgment and what happens at the end of the era. Specifically, he began talking about hell, so we spent a fair amount of time talking about future judgment in hell and what does that look like. And then at the very end of it, Jesus ends by asking a question. You'll see it on the screen, and, and maybe you look in your own text, and he asks this in verse 51. Have you understood all these things? We're going to keep coming back to that this morning because this question relates to you. Where are you at in your walk? Have you assembled all these thoughts that he's given us? Have you understood all these things? Before we go forward, before we describe what understanding actually means, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and we're going to ask God to be our teacher as we work through this. Would you join me in that? Let's pray together. Father, you have a purpose for us being here. It's not by accident that we deliberately made a choice to participate this morning. What you intend to accomplish, we don't quite yet know in each individual heart, but I do know this, you, you intend to enlighten us, and you do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. So I would ask right now, God, that you would take your word, which you said is alive, and it's active, and it's sharp, and it pierces, and sometimes it hurts, that you would use this to penetrate deeply and you would cause us to have a, a reaction, that we would take action according to what you declare to be true about us and what you expect of us. We would ask for that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Have you understood this? 
Have you understood all these things? Understand is the word tsunami. You see it in your notes this morning. You see it up on the screen. It's this particular Greek word that has this meaning of assembling together. Maybe you've never stopped to process what it means to understand. But when he asked this question, he's saying, have you assembled in your mind all these things that we've been talking about in regards to these parables, in other words, have you understood the mysteries of this kingdom age and its outcome? Are you able to assemble these truths? Watch their response. It comes in verse 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. Now, they claim that they do, but if you only go two chapters forward in chapter 15, you find it's only a few days later that they actually don't get everything. They don't translate everything that they say they understand into reality. They don't always carry the insights at that point in time. But however, in response to his question, whatever they're able to understand, they say, yeah, we get it. So Jesus accepts their response at face value. And in response to that, he follows up the question with one more simple, short parable. Verse 52, and Jesus said to them, therefore... Based on your yes, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old, and he gives no explanation for it whatsoever. Verse 53 says, and he ends the parables, and he goes out of the house. Leaves you like, what? What is that even saying? How do I process that? Well, I'm pretty confident that Jesus would not have said it. You can be confident of this. He would not have moved the disciples to write it down if it were not important. All the things written down in God's words are important, right, church? Okay, so this has got to be important. Why would he say it? What's especially important, New Hope, for us, because he says it right on the heels of everything you've looked at since mid-January. Everything that you've been studying through these parables, he says it right there to back it up. So let's back up and keep in context what he's asking so we make sure we really understand what he's asking of us here. He's not just asking this of the disciples. Look with me one more time. Have you understood all these things? Now, this for me is like maybe the same for you. It's like when you were in grade school and you walked into your classroom and you didn't know your teacher was about to give you a pop quiz and she told you to take out a piece of paper and write your name in the upper hand right corner. We're going to have a quiz and we're going to do a review. Well, there's no test for you this morning, so you can take a sigh of relief. But we're going to do a review of what we've looked at. Because in the big picture, each of the parables that you've looked at since mid-January, it's God speaking to you. Remember when I said back in October we started the entire parable series and repeated it again in, in January? When God says the kingdom of heaven is like... You want to pay attention, right? Because it's God saying, here's what it's like. You're not going to get a better source. God's saying, I'm going to give you some counsel, and you need to apply it. So what was week one? Let's do a quick review. Week one was the parable of the soil and the sower. And in particular, it was the four soils that Jesus was describing. I want to show you in your notes, and you can look on the screen as well, these four kind of hearts that are encountered during the church age. He speaks specifically about the condition of the heart. The difference is in the condition of the heart that hears the Word of God. So look with me, look up on the screen at these four kinds of soils, or four kinds of hearts that are characteristic within the church age. The first one is unresponsive. That's a really hard-packed heart. 
Jesus used the image of hard soil. It wouldn't let the seed penetrate. That may be somebody who's in your life who hears the word from you, and they just say, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't need it. That's good for you. I'm glad you have that. It's a hard heart. Jesus goes on to say it's not just a hard heart. It's the one who hears the word and does not understand it. In other words, the word understand is important there, sunamay. They hear it, but they don't assemble it. They don't put the thoughts together. Why? Because they've arrived at the place where I'm, I'm good. I, I don't need that. That's often a self-righteous person. They may not describe themselves that way, but a self-righteous person would say, I, I'm good. I don't need that. That's good for you. But secretly inside, what they're really thinking is, that's foolishness. That's so unnecessary. Well, the second one that Jesus describes was the superficial one. He said that one, that's shallow. They hear the word, they receive the word, and yet it doesn't go in very deep. It's often a, a quick response out of excitement. They respond to the gospel, and unfortunately, it's only on the surface level. And Jesus went on to say, and then when affliction arises, they quickly fade away. And he doesn't mean like you blew a tire in your car. And he doesn't mean like you lost your job, not that kind of affliction. He's talking about affliction as a result of the word of God. He said, when affliction arises as a result of the word, they fade away. The third one was worldly, the worldly kind of soil. That's a person who hears it, but they're so absorbed with the things of the world. They love their career. They love their fashion. They love their social circle to the degree that they allow that to take precedent over everything related to God. So the love of life is so full of possessions, they just worry about things. But the fourth one, Jesus would say that about many of you this morning. The fourth one, that's the receptive soil. That's the one who says, you know what? Even though the clock's changed and I lost an hour of sleep, I'm still gonna get up and go to church on Sunday morning. That's, that's you, New Hope. That's the receptive soil. You hear the word, you wanna process it, you hear it and you bear fruit as a result. And we said at that time, that's not necessarily someone who's smarter than other people. That's not necessarily who's more perceptive but rather because the soil has been prepared. By who? Well, by the Spirit of God. God prepared your spirit, your soul, to receive the Word of God. Do you believe that? He did that. God did that. He prepared your heart. So the difference, the major difference is that you hear and you understand because God honors the humility that comes with someone who's seeing their sin and saying, that's true, that's true of me, I do need a Savior. So when it comes to the type of hearts that Jesus has mentioned here, these four types, you always need to remember this. Although every human heart is naturally sinful, we're born into sin, Scripture says. Every single human on planet Earth is capable of being redeemed. Do you believe that? Amen. Capable may not receive it. God doesn't design people to be incapable of being saved He's not willing that any would perish. Scripture says this in John 6, 37, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Well, that was week one. Now, week two, week three, week four, it's going to go much, much faster for you. You remember that one? That was the parable of the seed. And we found that one it started out this way. Mark 4, 26, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How he himself does not know... And it was describing this normal experience of daily planting like a farmer putting seed in the soil. 
And he can't see what's going on in the soil. But in the soil is this inner dynamic. Something's happening below the surface. That's just like for many of us, we can't see what God's doing all the time, but he's working below the surface behind the scenes. Even from a human viewpoint, you can't understand how it's working. It's working, which told us something really magnificent. The growth of the kingdom of God, it's not dependent upon human effort for success. And that's such good news. The message of the cross does not depend upon my capacity. It doesn't depend upon your capacity. I'm responsible to scatter the seed. God is the one who brings the power for life, right? God's the one who does that. And I told you at that time, I like that one a lot. I mean, I like it a lot, a lot, a lot. Because it means I don't have to stay awake at night freaking out over who's going to be saved and who isn't. That's God's responsibility. So don't stay awake at night stressing over that issue. Consider your part. What's your part? To scatter the seed. You're responsible to plant the seed. Put God's word out there. And that's the wonder of it. Just let God shine on it. Let him do what he does. You might remember this phrase that we used that week. I said it was God-o-matic, right? Look with me on the screen. Mark 4, 28. The soil produces crops by itself. Autonomotos is the word that's used there. It produces it by itself. All we can do is share the truth, hear this, accurately. What we have to do is share the truth accurately. That means this seed is really, really powerful. That's why Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. That's what scripture tells us. How encouraging is that? That this regeneration, this transformation, the whole process is up to God. It's his responsibility. We just have to give him space for the increase once we spread the seed. Now, that was week two. Week three, you might remember that one. That was the parable of the tares, the tares and the wheat. You got weeds growing along with the wheat, and it reads this way in Matthew 13, verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. Now, we've already seen the four types of soils and how they would respond, and we've already seen what the responsibility is to sow the seed. Here in this parable, Jesus was explaining Satan's strategies, what he's going to be doing during the church age, how he's deceptively plotting and working behind the scenes during this era. And legitimately, we came to the conclusion that the disciples could really be bothered by hearing that. Like, it's not enough that there's going to be these three soils that already reject, and now you discover there's an enemy who's working behind the scene? How is this kingdom going to survive? So they came and asked this question. Look on the screen, Matthew 13, 36. Explain to us the parable of the tares. And the thought was this. God, why would you allow the tares to exist among the wheat? It goes to the big question of, God, why do you let evil in the world? Why don't you just wipe it out? Why does evil continue to exist in our world? Well, the short answer is he will purge this planet of all the evil. But he says he's going to do it at the end of the age through the final judgment. His delay in bringing about an end to evil is entirely grace-driven. It's because he's waiting for the tares to become wheat because our God's a patient God. Amen, New Hope? He's patient with me. I'm sure he's patient with you. That's, that's exactly who he is. So the church age is not about judgment. The church age is about mercy and it's about grace. The role of the church is to present truth and to teach against unrighteous behavior. 
And while doing that, show the plan of salvation so that we would usher sons and daughters into the kingdom, that they would discover who Jesus is, not drive them away. That was week three. Here's week four. Week four was the parable of the mustard seed. It says in verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, that was a really simple illustration, right? It was a very tiny illustration that everyone would get in the first century. The kingdom of heaven is like this seed, it becomes a bush, and then it becomes a tree, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was emphasizing that the smallest of things in Jesus' hands have enormous impact. So God's saying to you, New Hope, if you're a believer in Jesus, he's saying, hold on, you think you're part of something small? You you think you're part of something that people are rejecting? It's going to have enormous impact in the world. And so as believers came to understanding who Jesus is, they understood they were part of something massive and victorious. Today, you and I, we listen to the Word of God and we read the Word of God and we obey the Word of God confidently because we believe it's going to yield something in the end. We believe that it's going to produce the very things that Jesus is talking about. So we do it with anticipation that what we're part of is leading to something victorious. It's leading to something massive because our God has committed to realities we can't yet understand and see. It's as tiny as a mustard seed, yet he says, you've got to have confidence. It's going to come to pass. So Jesus was prophesying in that parable, saying, this is triumphant growth, The church has grown throughout history. It continues to expand around this planet. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And ultimately, it's going to culminate in this eternal kingdom. Now, we come into the one that we looked at two weeks ago. This should be recent enough for you to remember in week five. And that particular parable was about the treasure and the pearl. Look with me on the screen. Matthew 13, 44 and Matthew 13, 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. We arrived at the conclusion that the emphasis here was on personal appropriation of the kingdom. Jesus is talking about what you have to do to seize salvation. What do you have to do personally to obtain this? It's a personal transaction. Now, because the parable keeps talking about purchasing, it can confuse people thinking, wait, I've got to pay something? I've got to be like the guy who bought the pearl? What the Bible makes very crystal clear, and I want you to say amen if you agree with this, salvation is the free gift of God. So we can't boast. We can't say, I paid for that. Yet if you interpret this correctly, what it was telling us was this, anyone who names the name of Jesus, anyone who comes to him for salvation, that one is surrendering everything, and therein is the cost See, the pearl and the treasure, it represented the kingdom. God doesn't ask you to pay for your sin. He already did that on the cross through Jesus Christ our Lord. But if you choose to follow Jesus, it will cost everything in the sense that you surrender to him and you say, I'm yours, my old life, I'm exchanging that for the new. I want what you're offering me. And for some, it it is a surrender of treasure. For some, it is a surrender of an occupation. For some, it might be a surrender of relationships, but a true believer is going to be willing to give up whatever they have to because they understand the value of the treasure, because the focus is not on what we're giving up. The focus is on what we receive. We ended by saying the most precious possession we all have to give up, the one we hold on right to the very end, 
It's our sin. It's our private little sins, the things that we even think other people don't even know about. Even those, God says, I want those. It's the very thing I died for. Why would you not be willing to give those up? Many hold on to their sins and don't want to surrender them, even at the cost of relationships. They'll give up relationships before they give up their private sins. Those are the very things that must be surrendered because if there's no surrender of sin, you have to wonder if the transaction ever actually took place. So we we can't keep our sins around like little pets that we get out and play with when we're lonely. That was week five. Now here's the last one and you're gonna understand now why Jesus said, have you understood all these things? You remember what week six was? It was last weekend, just seven days ago. You you could easily remember that, the parable of the dragnet. And we had to talk about hell. And I told you it was heavy on me because it's so painful. It, It read this way, Jesus said in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea. And I told you the image is really familiar because of all the people that fished in the first century, especially among his own disciples who were professional fishermen. They understood exactly what he was talking about, this big wall net that was dropped sometimes a half mile square. And they would stand on shore and drag it in. That's why it's called the drag net. But it would catch both fish that are good for eating and fish that were not good for eating. And he translated that off over to both believers and non-believers. During the church age, God has permitted unbelief. God has permitted unrighteousness. But the time is quickly approaching, according to Jesus, when his patience will end and there will be a judgment. That's why we had to talk about hell last week. Today, the vast majority of earth's population is seemingly unaware that this eternal net is being drawn in around them And sure, the edge of the net touches us occasionally, but we very quickly forget. Today, it's coronavirus. We hit the edge of the net. It frightens people. We think, oh, that's right. Life is short. But I promise you, six months from today, it won't be coronavirus. It'll be something else. We move very quickly. We hit the edge of the net, and we swim off in another direction. And it'll be something new in the news. It'll cause people to be frightened. But eventually, enough of that happens, and they forget that the net is even there. Enough of that happens throughout the course of your life. Swim off in another direction, and you begin to pay no attention. Jesus' focus in that parable was on the judgment of the unbelievers who do not even perceive that the kingdom of God is advancing, and they're blissfully unaware of the approaching of the end of the age. So we ended last week with verse 49 with a reality check from Jesus. This is how he closed it. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. On the heels of everything that you just reviewed, on the heels of six, seven weeks of study since mid-January, Jesus now says, do you get it? Do you understand Are you able to assemble all these things? Look with me on this verse on the screen. Have you understood, verse 51, have you understood all these things? Do you remember what tsunami was? Look one more time at the definition. Have you taken this seriously enough to put this together in your mind? Because this is not what an unbeliever would do. 
an unbeliever would not assemble this. A believer would assemble all these things. They would be wise. Do you understand this kingdom age and its outcome? Let me put it in 2020 language. Do you understand, New Hope, that there are those who are in your social circle who are and maybe will continue to reject who Jesus is, but some will believe, some will repent and say, I need Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and they receive everlasting life. Do you understand that those who receive that as believers will continue to grow in numbers and they will influence the world? Jesus goes on to say, do you understand that this kingdom involves surrendering everything? Because Jesus is priceless. He's worth everything that you have to give up. And and do you grasp, finally, that this separation that's going to happen, it's inseparable from humanity. It has to happen. Otherwise, God is not just. He's not righteous if he doesn't carry out a judgment. And it's going to lead to eternity in hell for some and eternity in paradise for others. And based on their yes response, Jesus lays this on them, this short parable, which applies to you this morning, verse 52. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, when we hear the word scribe in church today, many people who have been in church for a while, they lump them in with the Pharisees, and we think, those are the guys who put Jesus on the cross. Those are bad dudes. Well, a grammatase was anything but that. In the society of the first century, a grammatase, a, a scribe, was one who took the things of God so seriously, they dedicated their life to not only becoming a student of the Word of God, but an interpreter and then a teacher. So a, a grammatase that he's referring to here, a scribe, is someone who's dedicated themselves to studying God's Word Take that thought and and carry that over to this group of the 12 whom Jesus is speaking to. He says this, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a man. Now, stay with this thought. Each of the 12 disciples have become scholarly. They're hanging out with Jesus all the time. They're hearing these comparisons. They're hearing the parables. They're putting the pieces together. They're they're like scribes who have become students of the word, and now they're translating over to becoming true disciples of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says that's kind of a scribe, that kind of a person is like, look on the screen, Matthew 13, 52, is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure. What do we know about a head of a household from the first century? In a a family environment, the head of a household, if there was a mom and a dad and kids, head of the household would be dad, and the dad was revered in the home, and he was responsible for one major, major responsibility, which was to provide for the entire family everything that they needed. Now, if it was a a mom, a single mom in, in the first century, single moms existed also, single mom with kids, she became the head of the household. She had a huge responsibility and her major duty was just like the man to provide supplies, food, clothing, everything necessary to run the household. 
So there was always a room that was set aside in the first century and, and before that that was called the storeroom or the treasure house. Within that treasure were all these supplies, both new and old. And the head of the house had the responsibility of bringing these things out. And in a, a really frugal household, there would be no waste. If any of the food was reusable, it would go back into the storeroom. If any of the clothing was reusable, it would go back into the storeroom after it had been used for future purposes. And in the future, when there was more need, the old supplies would come out first, and then the new would be distributed. Jesus is telling the 12, and this applies to you, that they've become students of the word, therefore they're like disciples in the kingdom of heaven, who are the heads of a household, who are reaching into the treasure of the old things and the new things and bringing them out. What's the old things? Well, they were raised in the Old Testament just like Paul. They knew things deeply. They're students of the Bible. And now Jesus has given them this new information. It's not to wipe out the old information, but it's to make it complete, to make the old understandable. So now they've got to reach into this treasure of all the things that they've learned. And, and Jesus uses a very deliberate phrase in verse 52 when he uses the phrase, brings out. Don't look for it in your notes this morning. It's not there. Don't look on the screen. It's just this word here, ekbalo. And it means not only to bring out, but it means to distribute generously. So that was the responsibility of the master of the house, to distribute things freely, to give them out the 12 have become like a head of a household who have this task of bringing out of the treasure the new and the old, and they've been entrusted with the word of God. They know the old intimately. Now they've been given the new truths, and they have the task of proclaiming the significance of both generously to the people that they encounter while showing them how they apply to this kingdom age. Now, because Jesus told the 12 when he left this planet, where I'm going, you can't go, but when the time is right, I will bring you unto myself, but I want you to do this in the meantime, go out and make disciples, reproduce yourself, make more of yourselves, make more scribes, make more that would become disciples in the kingdom of heaven. Well, if you believe in Jesus this morning, that's you. You've come to that place where you're now one of the disciples. He told the 12 to do that. They did exactly that. They went out and made more. This charge is given to them, and now it's been given to every single believer. And you find yourself this morning having been equipped in the Word of God. You're equipped just like those who have gone before you. And it is an awesome responsibility to be equipped with the Word of God. Scripture says this in Ephesians, God gave some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for works of service. My job is to equip you so that you would get out there and do what Jesus has called you to do. It's an awesome responsibility to be equipped with the Word of God. It's an awesome responsibility to warn people about hell. It's an awesome responsibility to share with people the way of salvation. 
to have the gift of life, to have the information that you have, but not share it with those who are headed for eternal death, the Bible says that's the essence of selfishness, to know the way and not give out the way. God loves this world too much not to warn. God loves this world so much he sent his one and only son. He loves this world too much not to warn, so he gave this world you. The scribes who have become disciples in the kingdom of heaven, and now you've got to pull out of the warehouse, the storehouse of your treasure, both new and old. And you may feel like you're not equipped well enough. We all feel that way. The little secrets are pastors who stand on the platform in March when the time clock changes don't feel equipped enough. We all don't feel equipped enough. God gives us the training that we need for the moment. I'm going to summarize it this way for you. This is bringing all of these six to a conclusion. I know we're not done with the parables, but we're done with the kingdom parables in Matthew 13. So hear this. This is my summary for you. Jesus is coming again, right? He promises it. If that's not true, you're part of a lie. So Jesus is coming again, and to those who believe, he says, go. Get out there, and as you go, some will reject you. Some will be so hard-hearted, they say, no, that's okay, I don't need this, I'm good. They're going to do it right out of the gate. But others will truly believe, and they will repent of their sin, and in humility they will say, I need Jesus, I get it. So if you've got people in your social circle, maybe, maybe in your own family, who don't yet get it, do not lose heart. Because our God says that he can plow up the ground of the hardest of hearts. I hope you believe that. God can turn over soil and prepare anyone to receive the truth. And so we ask him to do so. So this morning I'm gonna gonna end with a question for you and I'm gonna ask you to ponder the question But I tell you that just before we close in prayer because I'm going to ask you the question after we pray. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that you would seal deeply in our hearts the responsibility that you've given us as disciples of the kingdom of heaven. We belong to you. And therefore, we have this responsibility to take action, and I ask that you would translate that action into activity. Even though we don't feel equipped, take what we have, use what we know, and advance the kingdom through us. God, what an awesome privilege you've given us that you would work through us. And all we have to do is scatter the seed because you're the one that brings the growth. So now as you use your word to penetrate deeply into our heart, as you divide even in our thoughts and you pierce to the very center of our being, wherever you've probed this morning among the hundreds of us that are gathered and all those who are watching online, God, I pray that you would accomplish your work for the sake of Jesus' name because he's worthy of it. We ask this in the name of our soon coming king and all God's people said, amen. So here's my question for you. 
I'm gonna encourage you to take this question and stay in your seat if you want to after the service ends and just ponder it. Maybe even write yourself a note. Based on who you want to become in Jesus, what one habit do you need to begin this week? Maybe it's reading his word more. Maybe it's joining a Bible study. I I don't know. I'm not going to put the parameters on it. But based on what you felt the Spirit telling you this morning, based on who you want to become in Jesus, what one habit do you need to begin this week? Process that. Leave whenever you're free and whenever you feel like it. But in the meantime, have a great week, New Hope.